And the other thing I was kind of observing is we do have quite a few Bahamians here, but gee whiz, it's awfully cold in this room, isn't it? I don't know how that works. Thought it was the other way around. Maybe we're just sympathizing, empathizing with those up north, amen? Linda said there had got 30 feet of snow somewhere. I was like, no, I don't think so. I, meant, I think she meant three feet. 30 feet, that's a lot of snow. Was it 40 feet? That's not snow, that's a deluge. Gee whiz, glad I live down here. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, if you would, with me. Father, we approach in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the privileges we have to come together, to study your word, to receive your teaching. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, I didn't come here to offend anybody, but I do want to ask a couple of questions this way in opening our uh, meeting this morning. What if someone said to you you needed to cut down on your prayer time? Um, how, how, would that, how would that settle in your stomach? You, you know, you might call him a bad teacher, wouldn't you? Cut down on my prayer time? But consider this. Prayer can be a waste of time if you don't understand its purpose. It can be a waste of time. And we see that in the New Testament with all the babbling and things that went on during Jesus' day. It could be a waste of time. And I think that's why it's important for us to come together and maybe consider what prayer is. And these classes or these lessons, these are going to be more teaching than preaching. And I hope in some small way that you're able to gain. I'm just going to tell you, it's kind of, as I've studied this, I'm kind of like, uh, I might have mentioned this before, it's kind of like the little boy uh, who went to the beach with his parents for the first time. And he had a little pail and he was down in the water and he filled the pail up and he came back and he says, Dad, look what I got. And his dad looked into the pail and he didn't, you know, acknowledge it. And he's, the boy says again, Dad, Dad, look, look what I have. And the father thought, well, maybe I missed something. And so he, he looks in it again and uh, he didn't really respond. And then he says to his sons, well, well, what do you have? And he goes, it's the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> As I've begun to study this, and it's kind of like that, isn't it? There is so much in prayer that we have to understand that as we get together, hopefully, we can understand what is the purpose of prayer. And is it possible to pray the wrong way? What are the important principles and the features of a powerful, purposeful prayer that even Christ himself would teach us? If we're to uh, open up in our lives to the, the fullness and the blessing, we really, it's important that we understand what prayer is all about. The Apostle Paul wrote <clears throat> in Romans chapter 8, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. He says, For we know not what we should pray for, nor as we ought to pray. The Apostle Paul says we don't know what we should pray for, and we don't know how to pray, right? But he goes on to say, But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints 
according to the will of God. Now, isn't that a great blessing to know that even when we don't know how to pray, even when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit of God makes intercession for us. But by the time we get through here, we ought to have at least a decent understanding of how to pray and the, the form of prayer or the pattern of prayer. Open, and does anyone know where we're going to go with this as far as Scripture? Open your Bibles, right, to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read this, and it's good for us to read this. If you've been a believer or even if you've just been uh, around Christians or those who look at the Bible, you are probably familiar with this section of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read beginning of verse 9. The prayer is in um, 9 through 13, and then we're going to read the footnotes of that prayer in verses 14 and 15. Read along with me. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 14 reads, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, when we read in the Gospels, there's a good... good um, uh, idea for us to get a little context here. You know, each one of the Gospels have characteristics of their own that help express to us a facet of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we read in the Gospel of John, we see the Lord Jesus as the Savior. Luke tells us of the humanity of the Lord Jesus. And then Mark speaks of his servanthood. When we come to Matthew... Matthew expresses the life of the Lord Jesus as the king and his kingdom. And as we're introduced here in Matthew, and by the way, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, it's a very, it's, it's, it's just, it's a very massive introduction to the mind of the Lord Jesus. You know, if you go back to um, uh, Malachi, real quick, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and this was just, Something that's a, that's a kind of a rabbit trail for me right now, but I'm going to try to get us back around. I do have notes. I'll try to stick to them as much as possible. But when we look in the Old Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament tells us this, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The Old Testament ends with a curse. And it's interesting that when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, and here at the Sermon on the Mount is the very first sermon that the Lord Jesus would preach. When we come to the Gospel of Matthew, it begins with blessing. The Old Testament ends with cursing, and the New Testament begins with blessing. 
And as the Lord Jesus begins to introduce the kingdom of God, the first thing he says is, I want you to be happy. That's that word blessed. Mark, uh, I think it's makardios. I want you to be happy. And then we begin to read, as you heard a little bit this morning, we begin to read these Beatitudes. And then you say to yourself, what kind of happiness is this? He's talking about being poor in spirit. He's talking about mourners. This is not happiness like I know it. This is not happiness as the kingdoms of this world perceive it, right? But he says, I want you to be happy. And Matthew chapter 5, he speaks of that. And then he goes into um, uh, some examples of the law and how happiness has been overtaken. Real happiness the world does not own. And the world has polluted, corrupted, and ruined real happiness. And he begins to go through in Matthew chapter 5 and begin to put things back into order. When we get into Matthew chapter 6, as he continues the Sermon on the Mount, the very first sermon that the Lord would preach, here he goes from his kingdom and how he would have you to be in his kingdom, right? And he begins to contrast it with the religiosity of that current day. Okay, the religion, the, the, I have a, a Schofield Bible, and it says here, the religious ostin, how does that say? ostentation of the world, and he rebukes them. See, they had developed a religiosity that was just like their happiness. And the Lord Jesus here begins to set things right. He begins to put things back in order. In the first part, he tells them that their giving was unacceptable. Their giving was not right. At the end of it, he talks about the way that they had come to manage their material matters was unacceptable, was inappropriate. And in the middle of it, he talks about their prayer life. And by the way, the biggest portion of Matthew, this, this section here, is on their prayer life. He gives the he begins to give the standards of the kingdom of God and he contrasts it with the standards of that day. They had developed a system that they thought was adequate to get them into the kingdom, but it wasn't. Just like humanity does often, even in our own day. Here in chapter 6, Jesus zeroes in on their religious system. Chapter 5, he talked about their theology, that it wasn't proper. In chapter 6, he views their material things in their world. He touches on these three essential areas of the religious life. And he says it was inadequate. It was unacceptable. But, of course, like we've already mentioned, of these three, the greatest is on prayer. Now, our Lord, in his corrective teaching, he gives a skeleton of prayer. Now, this is a wonderful prayer. In the New King James, there's 66 words. And within these 66 words, it encompasses every, every part of life, 
all areas of your life can be in, encompassed in these brief, these only the Lord Jesus could take and pick these words and put them together to cover every aspect of our life. And that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at them. And it wasn't really given to be taught as some repetitious rote prayer, you know. There's nothing wrong with just repeating the prayer, but not necessarily, I don't think, because how does it begin in verse 9? It says, in this what? In this manner. And later on in Luke, and I believe it was in another situation, it wasn't the same situation, because oftentimes I think is in the life of the Lord, he taught the same things over and over again in different uh, contexts. But later on in Luke chapter 11, the disciples would say, Lord, after observing the Lord praying, praying himself, they would say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he would give them this same skeleton of prayer. Okay, it's not necessarily to be done for a rote, but repetitious rote form. It's a pattern of prayer. Now, I think that most people here will agree with me that there are two ultimate tests of true spirituality or spiritual maturity. There are two ultimate tests of spiritual maturity. Your spiritual maturity is determined, I think, primarily on studying the Word of God. If you don't study, it's not likely that you're going to be doing much growing, right? It's just like eating. Right? If you don't eat, you're not going to grow well. So, so studying the word of God is primary or, or very important. It's a principal aspect of our spiritual maturity. And I think the second one would be prayer. That prayer is vital to the believer's life. So we ought to know how to do it, right? Well, in, in context, the Jews had an idea of what prayer was all about. They had two basic aspects. In the Old Testament, a Jew had their idea of prayer. One was that it was a continuous prayer. They prayed unceasingly, unlike how it is often done for many people, and Christians in particular, that they never approach a prayer until some situation comes up, and now they need some H-E-L-P. So let's pray, right? But for them, it was a continual part of their life. And prayer also had an aspect of a national concern. I wasn't praying about my own selfish needs, my own desires. There was no real individual concern, but it was a national concern. And when we look at the guidelines here, we can see those aspects in the skeleton of the Lord's Prayer. And by the way, it's interesting to note that there are no personal pronouns in this prayer. It's not asking God to do my will. Prayer is not asking God to do my will, but more it's to bring me into the conformity of God's will. <clears throat> but something went wrong. They had this national and they had this continual aspect of prayer. But look what happened in verse, in verse 8. Something went wrong. The Lord Jesus, in Matthew 6, verse 8, the Lord Jesus would say, therefore do not be like them. Do not be like them. 
for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And just before this, he gave two aspects of prayer. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray in the synagogues and on the, and, and on the corners of the streets, that they might be seen by men. And then he goes in, in, uh, in, in verse 7, And when you pray, do not use rain, uh, vain repetitions as the heathen do. So don't be like, don't be like the religious people who are there to get their own glory. And don't be like the heathen who think like, like, like the prophets of Baal. If you'll cut yourself and over and over and batter and badger God, that eventually he's going to answer you. That's not how God is. He says in verse 8, don't be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of even before you ask. Jesus here reaffirms what prayer really is. And this is a model prayer. Now, there are a lot of, like, like, I think one of the things that I've been able to recognize here is it's like a jewel. It's like a diamond. And I don't really know much about that. I, 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 I kind of was, I don't even really have a, a gold wedding ring on that I own because it got too small for me. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do know that if you pick up a ruby or a diamond or a jewel, it's not just some flat surface, but there are a lot of different aspects. And as you hold it up to the light, I don't know if you ever see the same aspect of it. There's all these different aspects. And I believe when we look at this skeleton of prayer that there are so many aspects to the life of prayer that it will be endless for us, the time to take, to consider all of them, but we want to take a couple of them here this morning. Now, as we go through this uh, Lord's Prayer, what, what, what the, the format, and I'm just going to let you know the format that we've formatted for it. Is that redundant? Yes. Okay. The format is this. I'm going to give you an introduction today. We're gonna, we've looked at a little bit of contextually. We're going to look at some of the aspects. Tonight, uh, today is, this morning is the introduction. Tonight we're going to look at the invocation of prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's the invocation. We are invoking, we are including, we are, we are introducing the one whom we are praying to. And he is a father. And not only a father, but he's in heaven. A father with eternal resources. So that's the invocation. Next Sunday morning in the will of the Lord, we're going to look at another aspect of it. And we're going to look at God's glory. The invocation is our Father which art in heaven. And then we have the three petitions. Our Father who art in heaven, right? The first one is, hallowed be thy name. The second petition is, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We're going to be looking at the glory of God and our understanding of it as we approach prayer. And then in the will of the Lord on Sunday evening, we'll be looking at man's need. Give us this day our daily bread, right? We need to eat, right? Forgive us our trespasses and lead us not into temptation. So that's the, 
That's the format of the classes that we're going to be looking at. But as we look at this model prayer, first of all, um, we want to look at some of the aspects of it. First of all, we see that it, it unfolds the relationship that we have with God. You're not in a religion. You're not in a religion. It is a relationship if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, our father, that means that we have a father-child relationship. Hallowed be thy name. We have a deity-worshipper relationship. Thy kingdom come. There's a sovereign-subject relationship. Give us this, or thy will be done. We have a master-servant relationship. Give us this day our daily bread. There's the benefactor and beneficiary relationship. Forgive us our trespasses. We have a savior-sinner relationship. And lead us not into temptation. There's the guide and the pilgrim relationship. So we understand in our prayer life that, that it unfolds the fact that we are in a relationship. And this has so much more to give. This offers, this affords for us so much more than to be in some cold, vile religion. It's a warm relationship with a loving Father. So we see that it unfolds a relationship. It also defines the spirit in which we should pray. We were told in two occasions, do not be like this, do not pray like this, do not pray like this. But pray like this. What is to be our attitude as we pray? Our Father, it's, a self, it's an unselfish attitude. We're to have an unselfish attitude. Our, that's an unselfish spirit. Father, that's a family spirit, right? Uh, hallowed be thy name, there's a reverent spirit. We are to be reverent. We just don't, he's not our buddy. I cringe at those who say, oh, the man up above. Really? Thy kingdom come. There's a loyal spirit. We are to be loyal to his kingdom. We talked about that earlier today in the Lord's Supper. Thy will be done, a submissive spirit. Give us this day our daily bread. We see there a dependent spirit. Forgive us our trespasses. There's a penitent spirit. Lead us not into temptation. It's a humble spirit. Thine is the kingdom, a confident spirit, and the power, a triumphant spirit, and the glory, an exultant spirit. That is the spirit of prayer. This is the spirit we come. We don't come on our own terms. We come on his terms. So we see that there's a relationship that's revealed. We see that there's a spirit in the approach that we take. And by the way, this prayer can be divided into three parts. The first three deal with God. The second with man. And we've already talked about that. The glory of God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And the second three deal with man. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And lead us not into temptation. And you see the point? When you pray, first of all, before we ever come to the point 
where we say, give us, forgive us, and lead us, we recognize who it is we sit before. God is placed. God needs to be set in his rightful place before we ever begin bringing our own petitions before him. There's another aspect of it that I think is good for us to understand, and we'll go through these real quickly. It teaches us the purpose and the means of prayer. Number one, the purpose to hallow the name of God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on. Number two, the purpose of prayer is to bring in his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Where? On earth. Where? As it is in heaven. Do you know in heaven, God's will is, do you know how many wills are in heaven? There used to be two, but one got kicked out. There's one will in heaven, right? And in our prayer life, we want to bring that will where? To earth, right? Is his kingdom established in heaven? Is his kingdom full in heaven? Sure it is. And in our prayer life, what do we do? We bring it to this earth. Is he hallowed in heaven? Is he number one in heaven? Is he number one on earth? Is he number one on earth? No, he's not. But in your prayer life, you make him hallowed on this earth. Is that awesome? To think of that aspect, that it teaches us the purpose and the means by which we are to pray. It's the means by which his name is hallowed. You know, you know how his name is hallowed? Do you know how his kingdom comes? Do you know how his will is done? When he gives you, <laughs> when he forgives you, right? Right? When he leads you, then his kingdom is done on this earth. And that's the second petition. Father, give us our daily bread. Father, forgive us our sins. Father, guide us and lead us. Bring your kingdom, your will, your sanctity to this sinful world. Amen? What a privilege we have. The elements, the wonders, the beauties, this particular prayer. It's almost inf infinite. There's no way that we can contain the thoughts. Only the mind of God could have done this. Look, look at the three, la the last three elements of the prayer. The bread, that's the provision. We ask God to provide for us. The forgiveness, that's the pardon. We ask God to forgive us. And then the leading not into temptation, that's the protection. We ask him to lead us and to protect us and to guide us. And in these three, you find the three time dimensions of life. Our daily bread, that's the present. Give us this day our what bread? Our daily bread, enough for just right now. You know, Christians worry about a lot of things that haven't even happened. People worry about a lot of things that haven't even happened, right? They haven't even happened. We're all worried about it. You know, our daily bread, that's our present. Our debts, that's our sins. That has to do with the past, right? And then lead us not into temptation. That has to deal with the future. 
all aspects of your life are covered within this prayer. The future, the past, as well as the present. A little prayer that encompasses all of that. Also, bread, that's physical. Bread is the physical aspect of our life. Forgiveness, that's the mental aspect of our life. You know, the scriptures tell us that many people are sick and fallen. Why? Because of what? Sin. Sin will, will, will destroy a person. But when you know you have forgiveness, there's relief, right? So bread is the physical. Forgiveness is the mental. It relieves the anguish of guilt and leading us not into temptation. Well, that's the spiritual life. That's the moral aspect of our lives, right? Another aspect and another dimension of this wonderful skeleton of prayer. Now, whether you're talking about the past, whether you're talking about the present or the future, whether you're talking about physical, mental, spiritual, whatever you're talking about, it's all right here. It's all covered in this brief skeleton, this brief uh, manner of prayer that the Lord gives us. And the prayer focuses on one place. And the prayer focuses just on one place. Listen to this. In John 14, and you're probably very familiar with this. In John chapter 14, Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, the Lord Jesus says, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice to know that we can come to a heavenly father with eternal resources and ask? Okay, but it doesn't end there, does it? What is the reason why we ask? What is the purpose that God feeds us, forgives us, and protects us? And whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And what's the rest of the verse? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Let me tell this to you, saints. Listen, beloved. The purpose of prayer is to glorify God. Does our prayer life glorify God? Does our prayer life esteem him as hallowed, as a king, as one with a plan, and we're in it? Is that what our prayer life does? All prayer focuses on God. I'm gonna, I started with a question. I'm going to conclude with a question. But before we do that, I'm going to give you just real quickly, I want to give you an outline of this. And this isn't new. This isn't something that I made up. But when we look at this prayer, it can be divided up into this manner. Our Father who art in heaven. That's the paternity of God. God is a loving Father, right? The Jews understood that. They understood that. And we're going to talk about that uh, on Sunday evening, next Sunday evening. Hallowed be thy name. That's God's priority. Who should be first in our prayers? Do we come bumbling and badgering and beating God? To give us something? To fix something? No. Before we even make our first request, he's to be first place. We're to sanctify him 
in our prayer life. Our Father who art in heaven, that's God's paternity. Hallowed be thy name, that's God's priority. Thy kingdom come, well, that's God's program. His kingdom will come. His kingdom will come. Right? Thy will be done, that's God's plan. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. His will will be done on this earth one day. The Bible tells us every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Christ Jesus as Lord. Right? Our Father, art in heaven, that's his paternity. Hallowed be thy name, his priority. Thy kingdom come, God's program. Thy will be done, God's plan. Give us this day our daily bread. That's God's provision. God does provide for his own. He promises he will provide for you. And he wants you to ask him. That's God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, that's God's pardon. God does forgive us. There's a condition on that, though. Some people get that confused. Well, the Bible says that if you don't forgive others, then God's not going to forgive you. Well, generally, the reason why you don't forgive others is because you don't know what it is to be forgiven. It's like that servant who built up such a huge debt and he couldn't pay back to his master. And his master asked him, where's, my, where's, where's the money you owe me? And he said, well, I don't really have anything. I just have my wife and children. I'll sell them to you. You know? But please, please, give me time. Give me time. So the master would forgive him. And then he would go back and find someone who just owed him a little bit and put him in jail and beat him and stuff. Did he know forgiveness? No, he never experienced forgiveness. And because he never experienced it, he couldn't forgive. Right? Don't make that mistake. Right? It's not a matter of, uh, you know, there is a condition. But your forgiveness is not necessarily based on you forgiving others. But you forgiving others expresses the fact that you know what it means to be forgiven, right? So we see, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's God's pardon. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's God's protection. He will guide us. He will lead us. He will protect us. And finally, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, that's God's preeminence. That's God's preeminence. It is. He's, his is the kingdom. You know, there are some who say, well, that's not in a lot of the manuscripts. We don't know if it's there or not. Well, I don't know if it's there or not. I don't know if it was in the original manuscripts or not. I know one thing. It's true. <laughs> his is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. So if it's there, I'm just going to read it and accept. And by the way, in First Chronicles chapter 29, it says King David would say pretty much the very same thing. So that's really just a quote from him. So we see the paternity, the priority, the plan. The paternity, the priority, the program, the plan, the provision, the pardon, the protection, and the preeminence. All in this brief, short prayer. Now, do you think we can get through that in four meetings? I doubt it. But we'll do the best that we can, right? We began with a few questions. What is the purpose of prayer? Is it possible to pray the wrong way? What are the important features of a, of a powerful, purposeful prayer life that even Christ himself wants us to practice? What are they? Well, the reason you pray 
And the reason why God answers your prayer is to put himself on display. To put his glory on display. Will he answer your prayers? He will. But his answer to your prayer is to display his glory. When you pray for someone who's not saved and and they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, it isn't for your sake that he did it. It isn't for your sake that that person got saved. It's to show the power of salvation. Right? And when you have a physical need and and you pray and, and God gives the meeting of that need, it's not for you. That that, mead was, that that need was met. It's not for you to have what you want. It's so that you will know that God meets needs. It's for his glory. It's to put him on display. So when you pray, you're not informing God of anything. If you didn't know it, he's omniscient. He already knows it. Right? You're not informing him. He already knows. You're not forcing God. You're not imposing on him. You know, you're not badgering him, irritating him. You're not even conning him. <laughs> you know, that's not what it is. What we do when we pray is we submit ourselves to his sovereignty. And that, my friends, is the affirmation of this. It's already been said. The disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Right? And I think it's okay to do that. I think the Lord's Prayer is really in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer is just elucidated there so well. But here is a prayer that he brought to the disciples. And you remember in Matthew um, chapter 5, the Bible says that, that um, Jesus went up on the mountain. Right? He saw the multitudes. And he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came. And then the Bible says, and he began to teach them. The primary subjects of this lesson, the primary subjects of the Sermon on the Mount are the disciples. And it was good that everybody else heard it. But this prayer is for the disciples, for those who are born again. This is the skeleton this is the manner in which God is honored in our prayer life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we get together and come and surround ourselves with the word of God. We thank you that all through history, Father, that um, when you brought an institution, as it were, when you had Moses to build the tabernacle, you gave him a plan. And all through history, there's been design and there's been plan. And we believe, Father, that you have a design for prayer. And may this help us as we approach you in our relationship with you in our prayer lives to, to build our prayer around this skeleton, to put life and to put meat on this skeleton that you, Father, would be put on display in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.